Content warning, Nazism, eugenics, and misogyny. Action! Excitement! Horror! Romance! Thrills and chills! Swords and sorcery! Rockets and ray guns! A dizzying panoply of the strange and impossible from the darkest depths of the human imagination! What mad universe encompasses such tales as these? Join us as we bear witness to the sweeping sprawl of all the history that never was and all the futures that could yet be. It's adventure as you like it on What What Mad Universe. Behold, I teach you the Superman. The Superman is the meaning of the earth. Have you ever cried thus? Ah, would that I had heard you crying thus. It is not your sin. It is your moderation that cries to heaven. Your very meanness in sitting cries to heaven. Where is the lightning to lick you with its tongue? Where is the madness that you should be cleansed? Behold, I teach you the Superman. He is that lightning. He is that madness. Thus spake Frederick Nietzsche in words that echoed down the century to come, words that prophesied the next stage of human evolution, at least in the popular imagination. With the rapid march of technology, people began to believe that science would reach beyond better technology, better medicine, better quality of life, and create a better human. It was an idea seized on by most of the visionaries of the 20th century, and it inspired dreams both idealistic and horrific, most especially in the mythology of the Nazis. But the people who stood against the Nazis also imagined a hero with impossible strength and speed, a man of tomorrow, as morally pure as he was physically perfect, and thus was born the superhero. But before Clark Kent, even before Doc Savage, the superhero had a trial run in a novel written by Philip Wiley. The book was called Gladiator. Hello, and welcome to <clears throat> What Mad Universe. Uh, as always, I'm Adam, and this is Phil. Hello. Hello. Uh, today we're going to talk about... Uh, a very interesting novel called Gladiator, uh, and it's interesting because it is one of the bedrock uh, texts for the superhero. Yeah. Uh, it probably influenced, there's, we can have this debate later, it's a raging debate, but it almost, uh, in my mind, it almost certainly influenced Jill Siegel and Joel Schuster to create Superman, um, if, if only indirectly. Uh, and in fact, it reads as almost a... Um, deconstruction of the superhero yeah. at a time before the superhero yeah. officially existed. I was, I was going to relate it to uh, to early zombie stories like uh, Night of the Living Dead, which right. deconstructs a lot of the you know zombie survivalist narratives that came later. That's right. But it was the first. Yeah, exactly. It's 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 and I was saying uh if we're speaking of horror, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh if you watch it now, it's kind of predates almost every slasher you can think of. Uh and yet it's almost 
completely dismantling anything you would expect from a slasher movie mm. and night of living dead does the same thing uh for zombie movies and yeah it's it's uh it's another one of those essentially because uh it is a story about a guy named hugo danner uh whose father abednego danner is a brilliant scientist and he uh discovers a way to uh basically inject the human muscle with uh its full potential i guess you would say yeah it compares it to uh an ant lifting yeah. Several times its weight and a grasshopper being yeah. able to leap really far. Which, of Which, course, makes everyone compared to Spider-Man as well. <laughs> yeah, but it was also uh, early... The first Superman story uh, explains his powers scientifically. Like, he can jump an eighth of a mile like a grasshopper can right. proportionally and all that. Exactly. And, uh... Yeah. Yeah. And in, in this case, it's he's injected with... Uh, you know, uh, chemicals, which again, that ties him to another character he almost certainly inspired, which is Captain America. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was uh, injected as an embryo. He was, Yeah, it was before he was born. Uh, this guy experimented on his unborn child because he's a nutcase. And interestingly enough, they don't really deny that in the book. They don't try to make this guy seem like a, an awesome dude for experimenting on his uh, son. Um, but anyway, he becomes super strong and uh, super fast. He can jump you know, tall buildings with a single bound. Well, uh, there's actually, uh, he uh, can... here, I'll read something out here. Okay. Um, I can do things, Dad. It kind of scares me. I can jump higher in a house. I can run faster in a train. I can pull up big trees and push them over. Not quite as evocative as fast <laughs> yeah. and speeding bullet, but it's it's getting there. Yeah, I mean, clearly that's the kind of thing that Superman, especially Golden Age Superman, uh, seems yeah. very similar to his power set and Captain America again because he had yeah. he had but, uh, uh, yeah he's also uh, virtually indestructible like bullets bounce off him right and uh, he can leap really far so uh, yeah yeah like you said Golden Age Superman where it was uh, not but a bursting shell could pierce his skin exactly yes and uh, but what's interesting is that once he's gotten this these abilities what we then get is a coming-of-age novel uh, in which he never really does anything heroic. Uh, it's literally just about... A few about, times, but not really. He, yeah, sorry, he does some heroic stuff, but it is not uh, the novel of Superman. It's the no. novel of um, just a guy... It's a coming-of-age, how-a-guy-lived-his-life novel. Yeah, and, what's, and it's it screws up his life. Yeah, he's he is he is very... It's a very downbeat novel. Yes. Um, he's not... Um, yeah, it's it's sort of oh, it doesn't. It's it's the classic superhero's lament is oh, isn't it suck to be a freak with these crazy powers? Uh, but he really doesn't uh, manage to <laughs> do anything with them uh, essentially, no. and that's part of the struggle of the novel. Is well, wh- now I have all the super strength. What can I do with it? Um, which is. Uh, a little bit, he, I feel like the lady doth protest a bit too much because there are probably a lot of things he could have thought of to do. And near the end of the novel, he finally gets uh, sort of inspired uh, to yeah, do stuff. Yeah, but that's a little problematic, his plan at the end. there's not. I'm not even talking about his plan at the end. I'm talking oh, okay, about yeah. uh, just his dad telling him, oh yeah, yeah you've got to go. And then he meets, uh, he basically almost becomes a communist. Yeah, pretty that much. Doesn't, doesn't, they they that, don't use the word outright, but... They do, yeah. actually. Oh, right. I was looking for that. I was like, so you're kind of suggesting he's falling in with communists and then they do fall out say he's a communist and then they say oh no we have a we're better than the communists we have but it's clearly tied to that intellectual tradition yeah. right um but yes it's it's full on like yeah what can i do to help person and somehow he doesn't think of anything until near the end of the novel mm-hmm. and then and to be fair i mean he keeps getting things thrown in his path that make it hard every time he tries to do something right it kind of life kind of whacks him upside the head mm-hmm. which is part of the point of the novel um 
you know, he rescues at one point, um, you know, he gets a job in a bank and he's doing okay. And then he, uh, he tries, somebody gets stuck in a vault, so he has to rescue them. And uh, instead of being grateful, the bank manager basically tortures him for hours, or tries to, because he can't, because he's invulnerable. Because he thinks he's a safe cracker right. broke into the... Yeah, he's like, oh, this guy... It's it's almost not even that. It's almost like, um, well, you know how to get into my secure bank vault, so you've got to tell me how you did it so yeah. I can, yeah. you know, because you could use that knowledge. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. But yeah, so the crooked cops, well, I guess just cops at yeah. the time, just tortured him, like yeah. literally tortured him, like they, right. they were getting out of blowtorch at one point. Yeah, and, and none of which really hurt him that much. Yeah. And finally he goes, enough of this, and he pounds them all silly and drags the guy out. Basically, he just dumps them off in the middle of the middle of nowhere. It doesn't really do that much to him. Yeah. But, uh, and then there's a few. And then at one point, he saves his beloved from a bull, and she freaks out and never wants to see him again because he's so strong. And um, there's all kinds of stuff that happens to him. That anyway, it's it, it's sort of contrived so that he has a bad life. But it it almost hangs a lampshade on that as well. At one point, right? Uh, where it's where after he saves uh, the woman from the bull. He mm-hmm. starts complaining like, this is just silly at this point. <laughs> like everything just like whenever it looks like my life is going in slightly right direction, something uh, dreadful happens and I have to show off my strength. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like um, Superman, if he didn't have the upbringing and the drive to be good. And he, he does full on say that, oh yeah, he's lacking in, he has all this strength, but he's lacking in spirit and imagination mm-hmm. because he has to have other people tell him, yeah, actually there's tons of stuff you could do with this to make, yeah. to make, to make the world a better place. He's not necessarily saying he doesn't want to do heroic things and make the world a better place, but somehow he can't think of anything he could do <laughs> to help the world until again, he gets finally when his dad's on his deathbed, he meets with him and his dad's like, oh yeah, you could do all these great things. And that kind of inspires him for a bit. He does, sorry, before that he goes to war. Yeah. And he does play, this is World War One. Yeah. And he does play a major role in, uh, you know, uh, knocking down the, uh, the the enemy forces and winning and he, back victories. Yeah. yeah, and he did, um, at the end of the war section of the novel, he was going to actually mm-hmm. uh, go into Berlin and shut the whole thing down, but then Armistice is declared. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's on the verge of, you know what? I'm just going to end the war right now. Just charge into to Berlin and, and mow it flat. And then... But uh, yeah. the war comes after uh, he tries high school football. Right. And it's it sort of... it. It's interesting because it is sort of... He is cheating, technically, because right. there's no chance he has of losing this thing. Right. Um, so it's like he's on steroids or even worse. Right. Like he's playing against children or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it mentions that the, this is sort of a pyrrhic victory, and it, it loses its charm after a while. Right. And then he accidentally uh, kills somebody in the in the on the field. Right, which is the thing that um, kind of pull, permanently drives him away from college, and he had friends in college. And part of the point of the novel is he never makes any real friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, they again, they comment on it directly. Um, but yeah, he had some friends in college, and that kind of makes him want to split and never see them again. Um, it's they're they're weirdly uh, casual about him killing a guy <laughs> on, in in football. They don't, yeah. you know, nobody. Everyone's just like, well, it happens in football. Like, how dangerous was football in the nineteen twenties? They didn't have helmets. They had I, leather helmets. I know, but anyway, surely not that many people die. <laughs> they're I playing guess football. Particularly not. not college football. I guess not. Yeah. Anyway, but it's it is kind of. Everyone just goes, oh, well, that guy died yeah. <laughs> in the story, uh, which was a he bit... He broke his neck in three places, I think. Yeah, exactly. And the and the coach is one of the people who kind of learns that he's got some weird abilities. So, mm-hmm. um, 
but yeah anyway there's uh it, it's it's somebody compared it to um a you know imagine if uh, Ernest Hemingway had written a a superhero novel <laughs> uh, where it's, and it's much more about his angst. He's very angsty. You know, he's always talking about how horrible his life is. And, and I think the implication that Wiley, uh, the author is trying to uh, suggest is just a, that he's ahead of his time. He's a man mourned for the future that, you know, the, the present isn't ready for him yet, mm-hmm. basically. And that's why he's going for him. And I think it's also, again, Nietzsche being the, inf- the, uh, the influence uh, but Nietzsche was also a big influence and possibly influenced by, I'm not sure of their entire relationship, uh, Richard Wagner, who wrote uh, the Nibelungenlied, the, the Ring of the Valk- uh, and the Valkyrie. Dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 dun. Ring of the Nibelung and Ride of the Valkyrie. Right. Yeah. Ride of the, sorry. Yes. I'm getting it all <laughs> jumbled up. But yes, the, uh, the famous uh, opera there. And the opera themes are, you know, they were definitely, again, Wagner and Nietzsche knew each other. Uh, and he was inspired by a lot of the same ideas. And that's a story uh, where, you know, uh, a Superman is created by, in this case, Votan, the gods, uh, to fulfill a purpose that he has in mind, which was to save them. Uh, and the, and the, the, the guy he creates is kind of a, you know, uh, Siegfried, um, is the, who's kind of the Germanic Hercules. Uh, he's too powerful uh, to be controlled, essentially. And um, he's not, he's, he's really dumb, and Votan can't sort of, control him the way he wants to and he basically ends up uh destroying the spear of law that votan uses to rule uh which is symbolic of him basically saying i'm too strong i'm too powerful i i'm not reined in by the will of the gods anymore i'm the ubermensch that nietzsche mm-hmm. wrote about and um but then of course he ends in tragedy and sorrow and it's it gets out of control because he can't uh well he a lot of things <laughs> happen that are kind of contrived in in the in the the opera if you know it do you know it at all phil a uh, little uh, i mostly know the original you, norse myths so. right the original operas anyway he ends up taking a uh forgetfulness drug and some other stuff which is a little hard to relate to uh direct consequence of his powers but i feel like that was an inspiration for this story in many ways Makes sense. because it's also about the angst of the superman and how the superman doesn't fit in and how he's being manipulated by the gods and he breaks through the will of the gods because he says explicitly in this novel uh he becomes an atheist pretty early on on. he basically yeah. says i don't believe in god uh and then he literally he it ends if you don't mind us spoiling it for you uh it ends with him uh, getting hit by lightning while sort of cursing god which yeah. is a pretty uh, hard to misinterpret uh, moment mm-hmm. um so he dies uh, because the will of the you know god's will is that he dies apparently after spending most of the things seeming like he's you know against uh he's against uh, the idea of conventional religious morality it seems like god sort of steps in and goes nope i don't believe in this <laughs> so, yeah well yeah. uh the ending has a meeting with a uh um scientist um mm-hmm. who uh suggests that he build an entire race of other supermen right um and it, they use the word eugenics right you know outright so it's mm-hmm. it's a little problematic yeah. so he's considering this he's going back and forth on whether yeah. they want to set up a new civilization in the jungles to yeah, to uh, basically eventually conquer mankind yeah yeah it's 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 worth noting that the uh, the first few centuries of uh, the first few decades of the first 20th century uh you know eugenics was a thing uh it was a big idea the idea of mm-hmm. biological it just essentially... it was considered a progressive idea at the right. time like it was mm-hmm. like uh Uh, uh, yeah like uh racism was just uh assumed and this was sort of the uh you know we can fix it though yeah rather than you know well 
exterminate everybody we right more of like a yeah it was it eugenics basically boils down to we're going to biologically improve the human race whether by just careful breeding or whether by you know sterilization yeah yeah. sterilization of undesirables it gets creepy really fast yes theoretically as a basic idea it doesn't have to be horrible but it it always is in practice (laughs) pretty fast uh and of course you know that's something the nazis ran with and it was but it you know it was big in the west it wasn't like it was just the nazis uh you know um of course uh the doc savage books which we will talk about at some point um are basically eugenicist tracks Mm -hmm. um they're they're that's the basic idea and again it was he doesn't uh doc savage doesn't have any special uh superpowers like he's not filled with special chemicals or anything he just is trained to be the best of the best of the best of humanity yeah uh it's sort of a, a vigorous program of improvement that turns it's more into, like a batman than yeah, a superman that's right but it's still clearly meant to have that sort of eugenicist uh yeah. thing speaking of doc savage uh philip wiley wrote a book called uh, the savage gentleman uh which um is uh, about a guy, and it's so much like Doc Savage that it's absolutely astounding. Uh, it's a guy who's in the book, apparently. Uh, his dad um, went, uh, you know, is a guy he's cheated on by his wife, I believe, and he decides women are all unfaithful. I'm going to raise my son away from the influence of women entirely, and he's going to be- become the greatest man possible because we're, we're going to get him out of the influence of women. So he takes them off to some tropical island and they create a utopian father-son society with no women, basically. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm mistake- if not mistaken, the, the, the novel is he goes back to society and has to learn to deal with women. I'm not 100% sure if Wiley was like approvingly of this um, or if he was saying, no, this is what this guy would be screwed up and he would have to learn to deal with women properly. Yeah, right? Wiley seemed to have some issues with women at yes. least. Uh, he, he wrote a, a, a book... Uh, complaining about uh something he called momism right uh which was um sort of well that's the savage gentleman yeah 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 Yeah. no this was another book oh okay um uh called uh uh generation of vipers okay uh which was a critique of american society and um um he thought you know the what we now call the greatest generation perhaps you know right but uh he complained about them as uh you know a degenerate generation because of the way they were raised right yeah (laughs) yeah uh apparently though he wrote some other novels which were a little more uh less overtly misogynistic yeah and his daughter said he wasn't a misogynist Mm. like far from it so well but it came up though (laughs) it came up yes (laughs) because you read this book too and yeah all the female characters up until Actually, pretty much all of them have a lot of negative traits. His yeah. mom is terrible. His mother is a religious fanatic, right? Uh, who uh, you know represses like basically yeah. bullies uh, his yeah. father, right? Um, and and uh, is sort of the symbol of the superstitious past that he's yeah. breaking away from, basically. Yeah. And his and uh, Abednego, the, his dad, actually says, "Well, what if I have a girl though, and then yeah, she'll yeah. be exactly like his her mother." Yeah. Um, the novels. Uh, says uh, he fears uh, uh, super strong women reformers. Yeah, exactly. Somehow, if it was a woman, he knew he'd know he knows exactly what their personality would be like. Yeah. And her, his dad's no great shakes either. He's kind of a wimp, and he's a, yeah. he's a he's. I mean, the mere fact that he uh, you know and he experiments on his son, although that's I guess not looked down on too much by Wiley. Yeah, but it's not it's not fully 
Because I, I told somebody that, and they said, that's creepy. Yeah. <laughs> so in the modern context, it's definitely really creepy, but uh, um, I think they didn't quite think through the implications of that. No, he, he does, in the early going, he frames it as like, is this moral? Is this right to do? Mm-hmm. Like, So he, he obviously knew there was something off about it to an yeah. extent, but at the end of the day, he seems to think that's less a big deal than being really religious. <laughs> but yeah. She's really bad because she's super religious, and she's yeah. uh, her, his mean old mom who's really yeah. strict and wants to yeah he doesn't really relate to his mother like he uh Uh he does what she tells him to do but the the son but he relates to his father like he he actually talks to them talks to him and reveals his secrets as he's yeah and even and and sort of on his deathbed his dad goes oh yes i created you i thought you could do all this good for the world it would be so great and he's like uh yeah dad okay but he was he's trying to be you know, he's kind of like, oh, I've let you down, Dad. Mm-hmm. Like, it's almost spelled out that way and not, you're a crazy person, Dad, who ruined my life. Um, yeah. Which is what a normal person would be thinking at that point. Um, and, in fact, that supposedly inspires him to try and be better for a while, uh, which doesn't succeed. But he at least tries after that. Yeah. Um, but he, but it's... Um, Anyway, but yeah, the the female characters in the book, and then he meet, although interestingly he meets Charlotte, who's yeah. almost it's, she she's a uh, she's a first time <laughs> sex worker when he meets her. Right. Uh, she thinks that uh, uh, he's going to pay for sex, but uh, yeah. And this novel deals with sex explicitly, right? Which yeah. is weird for the thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, like he loses his virginity in high school and all this, and it doesn't yeah. go the yeah. man of steel, woman of Kleenex route, which no. is stupid. No. Um, I think, I, I mean, it's implied that like this guy, it, it, they make it pretty clear. For instance, the, the, the father experiments on a cat and it's pretty clear that he has to kill the cat with uh, poison, I believe. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely things that could kill him that beyond it's just blunt force trauma will yeah. kill him basically. Um, but, oh, and at one point when he's in the war, a shell does burst and cause him to bleed. Right. Causes him to bleed. So. And then his wounds heal really fast yeah. too, right? Yeah. So it's, it's but they, they don't imply, he's semi-invulnerable, but there are a lot of ways they could get him apparently. Yeah. And starvation probably, too. He, yeah. He does eat a lot. Yeah. It, yeah he it, eats a lot and he starves a lot at one point because he yeah. has no money. Um, you know, he does have morals. That's the thing. He's like, he refuses, he earns uh, a friend of, uh, a father of a friend of his, who's a scummy kind of banker, uh, ends up offering it like he takes his money and he ends up making a million dollars out of it and going, here, you can have a million dollars. I made a bunch of money off the, he's a war profiteer, basically. Mm-hmm. And uh, Hugo refuses to take the money because he gives he's a it war to profiter. his parents. He gives it to, yeah, sorry, you're right. He does take it. He, he gives it to his parents, but he refuses to use it for himself yeah. uh, because he's a war profiteer. And then he does actually take some of the money later, but then it's like, I'm going to use it to do good. But anyway, basically. Charlotte is sort of a low class, mm-hmm. I mean, lower class as in right. economic class. Yeah. Um, and But she's treated very sympathetically, I thought. Yeah, it was interesting because she's set up, and it's funny because she literally runs out, cheats on him with his best friend, mm-hmm. and it's portrayed as a heroic thing. Yeah. Because it was like, she, he loves her too much, he's not reading, reaching his full potential, she knows that if he didn't have her, he could go on and do great things. She's like, okay, I'm going to run off with my best, with your best friend and I'm going to treat you like a whole tart, but I'm only doing it for your own good basically. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) And it's framed and they frame it that way explicitly. So that's, that is really interesting on paper. She's a heartless tart. And then you look at her motivations and they're pretty carefully fleshed out as no, she's doing it to help him basically. Yeah. And it's a very sympathetic. I mean, like I said, when, when he first, first meets her, um, (laughs) she's planning on, um, Mm -hmm having sex for money and she's treated sympathetically which once again right. this is the 1930s it's yeah. 
1930 was the the novel actually came out. Yeah. Uh, it's worth noting that the 1920s, like, it's always been a bit of a pendulum, and the 1920s are actually, they were kind of a swing in era. There was actually yeah, a lot of uh, looseness. If you've ever read um, Brave New World by Aldous Huxley, yeah. uh, it deals with, it's from the same era, it deals with sex pretty uh, pretty openly, and there was more LGBT uh, stuff uh, at that time. Mm. Uh, you, they were starting, in the upper class at least, they were yeah. more willing to, to discuss that kind of thing. Uh, so th- there actually was a bit more of a loosening of morals right before the depression then everything kind of got uh the Hayes code came in yeah uh, if you've ever seen the original tarzan movies by the way there are there were cuts where they were uh jane was running around naked basically i don't know if you if nope. you know that yep and that's the kind of thing that made the Hayes code uh step in basically yeah um oh but, speaking of movies uh yes. this got one apparently yes wasn't able to track it down but mm-hmm. it's uh uh it's a comedy yeah, it's a very loose adaptation mm-hmm. uh the character's name is hugo kid i believe okay and he gets um like he's a weakling football player uh-huh. and uh uh dr danner who's another character not his father okay uh gives him a serum that gives him temporary superhuman strength mm-hmm. so he enters a boxing competition for charity but then loses his strength so he has to cheat his way through <laughs> okay so that's the plot of the movie yeah um nobody notable in it hmm. so yeah it's yeah know. that's so weird that they're they looked at this and went a comedy obviously yeah <laughs> you know like I, it's such a depressing book in some ways mm, so. yeah it is yeah it's true that wouldn't have been uh raking and that that may be a big factor you have to wonder if maybe superman getting a better uh <laughs> adaptation is what made it live in the public consciousness for years afterwards yeah. as opposed to this never really taking off mm-hmm. uh in in terms of a spinoff but it's true that superman is you know realizing the potential that hugo never realizes yeah that's that's literally the point of the book almost is that he never realizes his potential mm-hmm. um uh well speaking of superman mm-hmm. uh this uh well speaking of comics in general yes uh this was adapted a few times in comic books cause yeah it, it was public domain almost as soon as it was released due to some issues okay um i'm not sure exactly what happened but it you know sometimes copyrights right. are badly you know the years are put down wrong or whatever. Um, so uh, Roy Thomas did an adaptation. He's a, a famous Bronze Age writer right. uh, in the in the 70s. Yeah, he basically uh, took over from Stan Lee at Marvel. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he was very obsessed with continuity issues, um, you know, fixing little mistakes mm. in continuity and very meticulous with that. And um, when uh, DC was... Uh, uh, did the Crisis on Infinite Earths where they merged Earth 1 and Earth 2. Earth 2 was where all the Golden Age uh, World War II heroes were, Mm -hmm. and Superman was one of them, the Golden Age Superman. So when they merged the two universes together, the Superman was in the present day, so there's no Superman in the past, so they had nobody to fill that niche. So they created a character... Roy Thomas created a character named Iron Monroe, who was actually Hugo Danner's son. Mm. Um, So... This book, uh, yeah. Gladiator, was DC continuity for from like <laughs> 1986 to 2000, Whenever. whatever. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that he was faithful enough to the book to not just make it Hugo Danner. Yeah. Uh, because that isn't really true to the character. But, but also, uh, yeah, the book explicitly says that his child would be normal. Right. So. They, so yeah, yeah, they kind of explicitly make it that yeah, he wouldn't just have a kid who would have super strength. He'd have to give him this special formula. So that was apparently thrown out, but not the basic uh, theme of the yeah. Book, but basically. it's still it's interesting that 
Yeah. Uh, and also, apparently, Howard Chaykin did one in the right. 90s where it was like the Vietnam War instead of World okay. War One. All right. Hmm. Anyway. Interesting. Yeah, no, there was definitely, um, I think, an even older Marvel. Maybe that's the Chaykin one I'm thinking of, but I believe uh, Marvel did reference it uh, in, like, the 70s. They did, like... Yeah, the Marvel 70s one was called uh, Man God. That was the Roy yes. Thomas one. Man God. Oh, okay. All right. So, the, he... Wait, so that was in the Marvel Universe? Uh, yeah, Roy Thomas did an adaptation for the Marvel Universe, and then oh. I used that to say Roy Thomas also did it in the DC So, so Roy Thomas really likes this book, apparently. Yeah. You referenced it twice. Okay, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, that's... Uh, that's uh... And the chicken one was called Legends, I believe. Right, okay. So yeah, it's it's definitely... I remember in uh, uh, Supreme, Alan Moore's book, uh, Supreme, yep. uh, he has the Kirby... I don't know if this is accurate to Kirby, but I mean, Alan Moore did meet Kirby. Uh, but he has Kirby literally say, oh yeah, when you talk about a Superman-type character, you call them a Wily. Oh, okay. Uh, in the... In the uh, I'd forgotten know, that. But... It kind of implied that the Golden Age type of uh, artist, that's what they used to call them as shorthand. It was, they call them Wileys. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of how Moore yeah. frames it. Uh, but that would definitely, again, imply. So just to go back to uh, the idea of Siegel and Schuster uh, reading this book. So there's a large controversy over whether, well, there's something of a controversy mm-hmm. over whether Siegel and Schuster, who created Superman, uh, Joe Siegel and Jerry Schuster, uh, whether they had actually read this book. Uh, because the thing is, it's it's very hard not to read it and think, oh, yeah, Superman and Captain America. Um but there's no actual evidence that they ever did read it. However, um, they definitely read Doc Savage. Because yeah. if you know Doc Savage, his first name is Clark and he has a Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. So it's very hard to, to in avoid. In the Arctic, no less, or Antarctic, or yeah. one of those. Uh, no, I think Doc Savage is in the Arctic. Okay. Yep, yeah. yep, yeah, they're both in the Arctic. So, um, and Doc Savage is very clearly influenced by Wiley, both this book and um, The Savage, Savage Gentleman, Gentleman, as yeah. I already mentioned. So... There is a transitive property here, which clearly makes him the uh, great grand, the grandfather of Superman, if not the father. Um, so that's my uh, stance on that. That you know whether he had specifically read it, and I really think he had because I think it was a pretty popular novel at the time. I think it was pretty well known, mm-hmm. at least certainly in nerd circles of the nineteen yeah. thirties. Um, and there's there's a story that uh, that mm. shoots. That Siegel wrote a review of the positive review of the book, but that's apparently not true. You're yeah, saying. there, there. Uh, I did look at that, and somebody was saying, yeah, he listed off a lot of supposed connections, and he said apparently none of that is true. Mm-hmm. There is literally no specific evidence that they'd read it. Mm-hmm. It's just pretty obvious to me that they did. <laughs> that's yeah. All. So you can't prove it a hundred percent, but come on, they, yeah. They, I even if and again, even if they didn't read it, they clearly read Doc Savage, which was inspired by this. So yeah, uh, I think you can definitely call this firmly uh, the forerunner of the superhero novel. I mean, superheroes. Um, you know, there's a lot of influences on superheroes. You could call Tarzan, uh, in many ways, the first superhero. Uh, you could call, uh, you know, Flash Gordon, and you, of course, you can go back to like Robin Hood. You can go to the Scarlet Pimpernel because he has the secret identity and mm. what well, he Sherlock goes, well, Holmes has some elements. Sherlock Holmes, yeah. There's a lot. Um, so you kind of even super- like. Going back to Greek mythology, Heracles. And... Sure, of course. Yeah, and and, and yeah, Hercules uh, and uh, I already mentioned Siegfried. All these characters is yeah. always a sort. Of, but I mean, uh, on, on the modern era, he—that's where they synthesize a bunch of elements together mm-hmm. to make Superman. The secret identity is kind of new, and there were characters before Superman who had secret identities too. Uh, like that actually was a thing. 
Um, but they combined it with Andy has superpowers. That yeah. was kind of the innovation of Superman. And he fights crime. And he fights crime, yeah. Well, that, no, I mean, people who put on secret identities to fight crime oh, okay, existed yeah. before Superman, but they didn't necessarily have superpowers, that's all. Yeah, so, and there were superpowered characters, like the Nyctalope, who we right. see in the dark, but he had no secret identity. It right, was just... exactly. Yeah, it's it's the combination of those two yeah. factors that is the innovation of Superman. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there were a bunch of... Uh, uh, like patriotic heroes. It's it, when you read this, the the uh, World War One segment of this novel. It's of course this was all written before World War Two, but it's impossible not to see you know Captain America in these stories yeah. because it's a superpower. Though it's soldier. a lot, it's a lot more of a downer because yeah. well, World War One in general is right. I mean, both wars were yeah, you know, not yeah. You're not like yeah, smash the. The Hun, Kaiser yeah. Wilhelm, really had it coming. You know, like it's not, yeah. it's hard to root for Even going that. in when he's really excited to enter the war, uh-huh. when it starts, because it's just because he has so much, so many destructive impulses and he wants to let loose. Right. Exactly. It's not because he really believes in the cause yeah. of World War One. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting when they get to the end and he basically, well, not the end, even at the end of the war segment, he's kind of like, yeah, it's just a war of property against property. They start spouting pretty Marxist stuff as the yeah. series, as the Yeah. As the I couldn't find on. anything on Wiley's political yeah. um, beliefs, but the book seems mm-hmm. vaguely Marxist. It's, it's very, if at the very least, it's sympathetic to Marxism. Yeah. And that's actually something that I, uh, that I've been finding interesting. If you read about late 19th century socialism and up till the early 20th century, it's bound up with the idea of, uh, it's almost a science fictional aspect. A worship of science is part of it just as much as, um, you know, we're going to better the lot of humanity, uh, via economics. It's also kind of, uh, you know, there's, a, there's, a, there was a thing called Russian cosmism where, uh, the guy you may have heard of Tsiolkovsky who wrote about, uh, we're going to build arcs to go to outer space and all kinds of crazy stuff like that, which very much influenced Lenin. Lenin was also influenced by, uh, a couple of arguably science fiction novels. You can argue whether they're science fiction or just sort of plausing, positing, uh, uh, positive future one especially called what what is to be done and of course he liked gorky a lot uh and i always find later then you have people like ayn rand who were essentially writing pulp novels but they expected their philosophy to be taken super seriously right and uh so it's always interesting to me that there is actually this weird overlap with these various ideologies and almost a pulp sci-fi mentality but you read um but there's definitely this the you know the socialist ideal of uh, you know, we'll create a better man, uh, uh, you yeah. know, the new And also uh, the idea of money being yeah. kind of, because uh, he, he breaks with the uh, with the communist-like characters right. because they want to uh, increase their uh, revenue. They're, that's right. Well, yeah, the communism, the main reason he doesn't fall in with the communists is that they're uh, revealed to be hypocrites, where yeah. they, they mostly care about making money for the cause. But yeah. still, he's like, but we should do the right thing that will, you know, the, yeah, oh, but this is free, helping. freeing political prisoners who are going to be executed. Right. He said, yeah, the, they, he hatches a plan. They're going to free these people. And, uh, the guy eventually says, no, 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 actually it's better that they are in jail because that increases sympathy for our cause. Yeah. And he goes, yeah, but it's the right thing to do to break them out. And he says, Oh, well, but no, we, we don't want to do this. You can't do it. And he goes, well, what if I paid you just as much money as you think you're making? And the guy's like, really? Oh, okay. That'd be great. And he's like, screw you you're just yeah. doing it for the money basically or again not literally the money but so um so in in a way it's not anti-communist it's just saying well these guys and that's almost a criticism of like you could that that is a common criticism of like lenin lenin and the mm. and the and the soviet union of just being like 
they didn't do the right they didn't ultimately stick to their principles because they were too obsessed with gaining power which they said was for the revolution but it's still you know they betrayed their own principles so uh, it is very sympathetic in that sense to socialism and it seems to be you know good and that was remember the 1920s and 1930s socialism was a major movement in the u.s yeah. that was really popular that would not have been a weird outlying philosophy for a lot of people mm. and it uh, wasn't as uh clamped down on as it became after the war yeah well it was but oh, okay it, but it, th- you I know mean, more than i do about this so it, i mean there were literally communists running for government in the 20s yeah. and 30s but then there were also people sending in the cops to break their heads basically okay. basically so it's kind of yeah you're kind of right and you're kind of not right um but it it it, it, it it's people tend to say uh fdr um He's one of the main guys who killed the movement towards socialism, yep. communism, because not by cracking down on them, but by giving them some of what they wanted, basically. And that kind of killed everyone's, like, once you had all the, the, the socialist reforms within the non-socialist system, people stopped asking for, you know, all the stuff that socialism was going to give them. Uh, and that kind of petered and it got transferred into labor movements and stuff like yeah. that but yeah it was it was a much in the 20s and 30s you're right people it was no big deal to be a socialist well, it was a, again there were a lot of people who hated that but it was a mainstream political viewpoint uh then as the 50s and 60s rolled on it became oh you must be an agent of the soviet union if yeah. you're a communist right so but it is interesting that the book goes into that and it go and you don't you almost don't expect it to go there because most books back off from that these yeah. days uh but this just goes full on it's like oh yeah communist and he in addition to showing them as hypocrites being their main criticism he also makes it that um th- they say they aren't communists at one point which almost seems like he's exonerating communists did okay. you notice that yeah, he goes yeah. he goes oh no we have a higher goal than actually sorry he says higher goal than bolshevism yeah um which would could be a, interpreted a few different ways basically mm-hmm. um but yeah no it's it's it almost seems oh, yeah, like he's not trying to come down too hard on communism when he speaking of uh that section when he uh plans to uh uh better washington by just threatening <laughs> and beating up uh, uh politicians he doesn't like yeah we were talking uh, about silver john last yeah. time and yeah he was gonna head to washington too he was gonna kick some ass in washington yeah. so <laughs> that seems to be a common thread for some of these guys yeah yeah, but yeah. this in this case it doesn't work out because uh, right it's Washington and nobody really believes crap <laughs> uh, I, in the story. Anyway. I, I I feel like again, he, and he again he says this about himself. Oh, I lack spirit and intelligence, and I do feel like he gives up way too easily. Hugo does. Superman would not give up this easily. No, even if that was his goal to like beat politicians oh, up. Oh, there's they did a the section right where he where he muses that he could fight crime or become a super detective right yeah he and says that, that. Yeah. yeah like he uses pretty much those words and mm-hmm. he doesn't do that yeah so it's almost like he's it it is like the hints of the superhero novel are there it just right. this novel chooses to go in another direction yeah exactly it's it's so much like you would think this was written after superheroes had been a common thing and yeah this was it feels like, like a watchman some... deconstruction thing exactly like what if a superhero decided not to become a superhero and then but this is literally it's in fact it's probably more like Siegel and schuster and read that and was wait what if he did become a super detective yeah. you know like that's a way more entertaining story and yep. they're right it is a way more entertaining story yep. so i mean there's a reason superman has lasted and uh-huh, hugo yeah. danner is just sort of you know, like yeah. mentioned in League of Extraordinary Gentlemen or whatever. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, it is interesting because we're, you know, this is a pulp yeah. podcast. We're talking about pulp. In some ways, it's not a pulp novel. Yeah, it's a little too uh, um, non-adventure based, yeah. I think. Like, there is there is fighting, there is World War Two. there is, yeah. does 
kill a guy, but you know, it's yeah, it's it's like a coming of age novel more yeah. than anything, or a, or a slice of yeah, life. Yeah, you mentioned novel. Hemingway. It yeah. feels very like more like a literary novel with some sci-fi elements. Yeah, exactly. Than... It's yeah, it's more like a classic literary novel, either modern or in the past, uh, where it's like again, it's well, we got to keep away from the adventure, action adventure. He's never quite going to become an action adventure hero. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so influential on Pulse, I thought it would be an interesting sure. thing to look at. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's absolutely, because it's so influential. And I mean, Wiley, wrote, like, he, Wiley also wrote uh, When Worlds Collide, yeah. uh, which is 100% a sci-fi pulp novel as well. I mean, And apparently influenced Flash Gordon as well, right? Yes, that was a big influence on Flash Gordon. They so did... it seems Wiley was very... Mm-hmm. influential on things that are more famous than anything he created. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. Well, they did make a movie out of When Worlds Collide. That's actually okay. a... Fa- that's, he's probably better known for that nowadays mm-hmm. than he would be for Gladiator. But yeah, he's, like his concepts are clearly pulp adventure concepts. It's just that he takes them in a more literary direction, at least based on this novel he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is... It's just... It's very interesting. But it, you could also argue that at the time they didn't necessarily expect every novel to be wall-to-wall uh, you know, action, action adventure. Yeah. yeah. Um, like there are definitely a lot of, uh, old, uh, sci-fi novels, you know, Frankenstein's not a thrill a minute ride, no. you know, <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of these classic books, uh, are more literary in many ways as well. Uh, that's sort of what distinguished the pulps is that they were, I guess, a bit more, uh, rip roaring and something's got to happen every chapter to yeah. punch through. But I mean, then you can go back to Charles Dickens and he was a chapter author, you know, yeah. chapter, chapter a month author or whatever he wrote, chapter a week, whatever he wrote, uh, how, how often his output was, but he was, um, you know, he's a, he's a literary author. You wouldn't call him a thrill a minute writer either. So there's a much blurrier line, I think, between the pulps and, and the literary yeah. offerings at that point. And as we already, we discussed a, a couple shows ago, uh, Anne Radcliffe, who's probably like a, a low-class goth writer, but she influenced Jane Austen, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing. So it is definitely interesting that there was less, possibly less divergence between the two, uh, which is a theme I find interesting, and we'll probably discuss it in a future yeah. uh, future offering. But uh, for This was n- definitely better than a Nyctalope novel. <laughs> Phil we'll does not the... like the Nyctalope. We will talk about the Nyctalope someday. Yeah, we'll but... get to that in another episode, but... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Are you excited to hear about these really bad novels that Phil hates? Well, we're going to talk about he them eventually. He can see in the dark. <laughs> he can see in the dark. That's his superpower. <laughs> yep. That's what, we'll, we'll get it someday. Um, anyway... But uh, I think it's time for us to say goodbye, uh, folks, again, for another couple of weeks. Uh, as always, uh, we are uh, Phil and Adam. Okay, um, so uh, just a reminder, uh, I am on Twitter as Prankster36. Uh, I have a Patreon. I have a number of comics, including Liberia and Night Beach, and I edit Strange Romance, which are all on Comixology. You can check out all my stuff on www.phantasmictales.com. Uh, and uh, Phil also has stuff. Uh, yeah, you can find me online as either Philip Rice or Spear Havoc. Uh, S P E A R H A F O C underscore on Twitter. It was taken. Um, I have uh, uh, several comics as well, including the Apex Society, which is pulp themed. Uh, that's a web comic and also available on Comicsology and some other things available including halloween girl uh, and uh i'm on patreon as philip rice i think it's also spear havoc there so uh we'll say good night once again all you uh ad- ad- adventure kids with your uh decoder rings and your secret uh 
masks. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they did back in the fall era, but they, uh, they did. Anyway, good night again, folks. Take care.